0: Sometimes. Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Volts. With me as always, my main man and partner in crime, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, my man? Oh, I'm doing good, brother. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Uh I think today's um topic is uh is perfect for uh, for now because um you know, we've been uh trying to put something together on this topic of you know, which is basically bio warfare for a little while and uh the timing seems like it's just perfect because uh a lot of uh media outlets are now reporting a lot um and even some uh generals from within the uh, within our armed services have reported that there are uh bio labs over in, in the ukraine right now and with that incident going on with uh with russia whatever the case may be who knows because of whatever uh mainstream media is telling us but whatever is going on over there there is some struggles and it seems like bio bio labs is probably not the best of things to be over there right now while there's bombing going on and well whose hands could it end up falling into and who's the good guy who's the bad guy no one knows i mean the media they're not going to tell us the truth
1: right there's a struggle for power and those labs could wind up in the wrong hands And it fits in perfectly with our topic as well, because anybody
0: that would think, well, our government would never do that. Oh, they would, and they have. And it supposedly had been put to a ban by President Nixon, but uh, we're going to give you the rundown of how this has played out in the United States uh, as recent as the last, you know, 50, 60 years, so... Here we go. Now, speaking of President Nixon, it was on a day in November that he made his statement on chemical and biological defense policies and programs, ending bioweapon experimentation on Americans. Instead, we clearly heard that during Ronald Reagan's time in office, bioweapons were shipped by Rumsfeld into Iraq for use in war against their own population. Now, after Rumsfeld's visit to Baghdad in 1983... U.S. intelligence began supplying the Iraqi dictator with satellite photos showing Iranian deployments. Official documents suggest that America may have also secretly arranged for tanks and other military hardware to be shipped to Iraq in a swap deal. American tanks to Egypt, Egyptian tanks to Iraq... Over the protest of some Pentagon skeptics, the Reagan administration began allowing the Iraqis to buy a wide variety of dual-use equipment and materials from American suppliers. Now, according to Confidential Com- Commerce Department export-controlled documents obtained by Newsweek, the shopping list included a computerized database for Saddam's interior ministry, presumably to help keep track of political opponents, helicopters to transport Iraqi officials, television cameras for video surveillance applications, chemical analysis equipment for Iraq Atomic Energy Commission, and most unsettling, numerous shipments of bacteria, fungi, and protozoa to the IAEC. According to former officials, the bacteria cultures could be used to make biological weapons, including anthrax. The State Department also approved the shipment of 1.5 million atropine injectors for use against the effects of chemical weapons, but the Pentagon blocked the sale. The helicopters, some America officials later surmised, were used to spray poisonous gas on the Kurds. The United States almost certainly knew from its own satellite imagery that Saddam was using chemical weapons against Iranian troops. When Saddam bombed the Kurdish rebels and civilians with a lethal cocktail of mustard gas, sarin, and tabun and vx in 1988 and the reagan administration first blamed iran acknowledging under pressure from congressional democrats that the culprits were saddam's own forces there was only token official protest at the that was the only official token protest at the time saddam's men they were unfazed an iraqi autotape later captured by the kurds records saddam's cousin Ali Hassan al-Mahid also known as Chemical Ali talking to his fellow officers about gassing the Kurds. Who is going to say anything he asks? The internal community?
1: F them he says. Yeah I remember uh, when that happened in like my own lifetime and I remember like the public's image or the public like outcry was how could they do that how could he do that to those people but Now here we are, years later, finding out that we supplied him with the material to do it. I mean, it's just like the Fast and
0: Furious that happened with President Obama. I mean, he got caught trying to uh, or giving uh, weapons to uh, the drug cartels in Mexico. I mean, he got caught doing it because the the cartels ended up stealing them and not even paying for them. What are you going to do? I mean, there's so much corruption going on, but this is just another level, level of it. And uh, we're going to let Steve take you into
1: this next segment. Blood, fog, the military's germ warfare tests in San Francisco. The Nuremberg Code was drafted in 1947 following the appalling revelations of human experimentation committed in Nazi concentration camps. The overarching goal of the code was to establish a set of rules for the ethical conduct of research using human subjects, guaranteeing that the rights and welfare of such participants would be protected. Two important principles guide and define this code, the concept of voluntary, informed consent, and that no experiment shall be conducted in which there is an a priori, reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur. Just four short years later, the government of the United States would violate that code as it undertook one of the largest human experiments in history, spraying the city of San Francisco with a microbe. Serratia marikensens is a simulated germ warfare attack. The genus serratia are a group of soil and water dwelling microbes, with one very neat party trick, the, ma- the manufacture of a red pigment known as prodigiosin. That's it. <laughs> prodigiosin. It's a tough word to say. Derived from the Latin prodig- prodigious for its marvelous and seemingly supernatural coloring. This color ranges from the lurid vermilion to a washed out pink, depending on the microbes age. The unique property has been regularly exploited in microbiology as a biological marker, tracking metabolic behavior and transmission of bacteria in various environments. For this reason, the microbe is an ideal tool for such work, a showy microbe that naturally flies a very noticeable red flag. The origins of serratia are, despite the microbe's technical laboratory applications, often quite prosaic. The bacteria thrives in wet environments and may be seen forming pink streaks on the inside of shower curtains and along toilet bowls in the homes of the sanitationally challenged. That's
0: pretty... uh, So it it leaves a marker. So wherever this microbe is, you will uh, be able to notice it. I know uh, a long time ago... Uh, when me and my wife first got together, we lived in this apartment, and there was these certain candles that if we burned, that we would see soot all over our toilet seats and stuff. So then we started to realize, well, if that's on there, then we're breathing all that in. So we stopped using that brand uh, in such a – well, we stopped using it all together, but definitely within the small confines of an apartment back then. So, I mean, this is kind of like that. I mean, it's a microbe, and then if it's if it's in the air – It's going to stick to uh, wet, moist areas, again, like a toilet seat or a a shower curtain or what have you. Now, the bug also has a fondness for starchy foods, and it was recognized as early as the 6th century BC, when the philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras noted the presence of what appeared to be unusual spots of crimson blood forming on bread. It has been proposed that serratia proclivity for starch may have contributed to the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, wherein the bread of the Eucharist represents the body of Christ. It was the same curious habit of pigment production that was exploited by the U.S. military amidst the cooling atmosphere of the Soviet-American relations in the 1950s. The flashy serratia Marquesens was used as a model organism in a simulated germ warfare attack known as Operation Sea Spray. The goal, a vulnerability test, to identify suspectable regions in the event of biological terrorist attack. San Francisco was chosen for its unique geography and proximity to the ocean, as well as as its dense population and tall buildings present throughout its downtown. Now, over a period of six days in September of 1950, members of the U.S. Navy sprayed clouds of serratia from giant hoses aboard a Navy minesweeper drifting two miles along the San Francisco coastline, a bacterial fog quickly enveloped and disguised by the region's own mist. By monitoring the air at 43 scattered sites throughout the region, the Navy found serratia bacteria blown throughout San Francisco and extending to the adjacent communities of Albany, Berkeley, Daly City, Coma. Oakland, San Leandro, and Sausalito. In this regard, the experiment was a, su- was a success, and the San Francisco Bay was identified as high success- susceptible site for germ warfare attack and quantifiable range for airborne dispersal of microbes was established. A 1951 military report on the experiment summarized the findings. It was noted that a su- successful biological warfare attack on this area can be launched from the sea and that effective dosages can be produced over relatively large
1: areas. Well that's great. Well I mean they found out what they wanted to know, but the way they did it was terrible. Well
0: anything that's done under the secret disguise that you don't want the public to know about it is wrong. I mean, of course they're gonna say, well, there's nothing that this uh, serratia microbe is going to do to humans. Well, that's what they said about DDT. That's what they said about Agent Orange as well. Right. Well, do you want to t- jump into this next section?
1: Yes. It was estimated that the city's 800,000 residents had each received a heavy dose of serratia, inhaling millions of bacteria throughout the testing period. In its report, the military further concluded that serratia is so rarely a cause of illness, and the illness resulting is predominantly so trivial that its use as a simulation chemical should be continued, even over populated areas. However, serratia can cause illness, and the repercussions of this experiment extended far beyond a slightly foggier week in San Francisco. A week after spraying, 11 patients were admitted to the now defunct Stanford University Hospital in San Francisco with severe urinary tract infections, resistant to the limited antibiotics available to that era. One gentleman recovering from prostate surgery developed complications of heart infection as serratia colonized his heart valves. This would be the only death during the aftermath of the experiment. Stanford University Hospital doctors, culturing the patient's urine and petri dishes, found an unusual and unexpected discovery. Microbes blushing with a cherry red pigment. Infection with serratia was so rare that the outbreak was extensively investigated by the university to identify the origins of this scarlet letter bug. Though the source of this unusual organism could not be located despite an exhaustive epidemiology search, Search Stanford published a report on the outbreak, noting that the isolation of a red pigment-producing bacterium from the urine of human beings was of interest, at first as curious clinical observation. Later, the repeated occurrence of urinary tract infection by this organism, with bacterium in two patients and death in one, indicated the potential clinical importance of this group of bacteria. It was the first recorded outbreak of serratia in the history of microbiology.
0: That's no good. That's no good. I mean, even if 11 people were hospitalized, that means that there was other people that didn't go to the hospital, kind of just waited it out. Because, I mean, what, what, what would you do in the circumstance of I mean, with the urinary tract infection? You're going to give them some, uh, yeah, some, some pills uh, to take care of it. But right. They
1: probably went to their primary care physician with a urinary tract infection and just got some... Uh, just some pills to clear it up.
0: Yeah. I mean if they were available at that time. I mean with the advancement in uh in medications today. I mean and if they had a urinary tract infection then that then the, obviously all that serratia microbes was going through their kidneys and liver and being processed. I mean if if it's if you have a urinary tract infection then you have that all throughout you. So I mean what were what were the long term
1: effects? And it seems like it was a heavy dose.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know all this discussion that we that we talked about with the with the Nuremberg trials. I mean that that's hit home, um, I think, for anybody across the world in the last couple of years with uh, whether or not they they wanted to get um, vaccination for um, uh, for the pandemic for for COVID. And again, I, you know, I'm a proponent of choice. You want to get it, that's great. If you don't, that's okay too. But unfortunately, it seemed like the Nuremberg Code had been been broken because there's been a lot of well a lot of doctors and nurses that have, have left the industry because their choice was to not take it and, and they were forced out. Uh, lots of different federal jobs, uh, and uh, it just seems like since people aren't consenting. I mean, that was part of the Nuremberg trial. You have to be fully consenting, uh, and, you, and and again, but but you have to know what the outcomes of the side effects are too. And in some of the uh, vaccine creators have said they, will, they, they won't release that information for another 50 years. I mean, you can see how some could be uh, skeptical on what they should do or believe. Let's see. All right, so this next thing. Let's so this would not be the last time that such simulation experiments would be carried out on American citizens. From 1950 to 1966. The military performed open-air testing of potential terrorist weapons at at least 230 or at least 239 times in at least 8 American cities including New York City, Key West, and Panama City, Florida, exposing still unknown numbers of Americans to serratia and other microbial organisms. In the majority of those cases, exposure to the microbe was nothing more catastrophic than, catastrophic than the exposure to other microbes in a dust cloud. For a minority, including elderly and young children, an immunocompromised, such as exposure, posed serious health risks. Now, following President Nixon's 1969 order, unequivocally ending both offensive germ warfare research and activity in the stockpile of biological agents, the military ceased all simulation tests on the American public. But it is this one event, that serratia spray of the San Francisco, that stands out among the many covert experimentations on uninformed American citizens committed by the U.S. government largely due to the scale and scope of the operation as well as the diligence of Stanford Hospital in identifying the homegrown outbreak and publishing their findings. It's one of the largest offensive offenses of the Nuremberg Code since its inception, a de- deplorable betrayal of the public health and safety and the informed consent and civil liberties. Now, the Nuremberg Code, just a year after Operation Sea Spray, the U S civil defense released a PSA to the American public. What you should know about biological warfare, educating the populace on the steps to take in the event of biological attack from our cold war enemies. So what, maybe they were just going to keep carrying out these uh, experiments. And then this PSA is put out to be like, well, if anything happens, you know who it was.
1: Yeah. Our cold war enemies. I
0: mean, our country's great at blaming Russia for
1: everything. Everything and that, that's a sign of the era. Back in the '50s, they had those uh, big gas masks that had the hose hanging off of it. Oh, sure,
0: yeah, and 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 they would have drills in schools for bombings. They like like the the fire Air drills rate. of our day. They had to get under their desks. They go out in the hall and face the wall with their heads covered, and just pure craziness. I mean, but again, big media likes to sell fear, and and fear is the best way to control people. So. You tell them, look, you better be training for this or else you're dead. People are going to start training for it, it seems like.
1: It was part of the alternative culture at the time where uh, they would make planting bases like, like a planter and make flowers grow out of the gas masks as a symbol of, hey, look, this isn't what we want. We want, you know, peace and growth.
0: Yeah. Um, at least that's what we, we hope Now, we're going to go into the next segment, which we're going to be talking about the history of testing. Steve, you want me to kick this off? You want to kick it off?
1: I'll take this first little bit. All right. The U.S. Biological Weapons Program started during World War II, but the first real public test didn't happen until 1949, when scientists put harmless bacteria in the air conditioning system at the Pentagon to see what a biological weapon might look like. So that right there.
0: I mean, come on! It doesn't get any closer to uh, to our na- than our nation's capital. Them testing it on their
1: own employees at the Pentagon. I mean, that's a huge building, and there are a lot of very important people to the country, and the infrastructure, and in keeping the country running. And they they put bacteria in the air conditioning units. Yeah, not to
0: mention that the people that work there, they're they're like, well, we're and probably the the heaviest uh security place we don't have anything to worry about in here and it's like well it's just the opposite <laughs> you're so vulnerable right at your own office in the most protected offices in 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 the country
1: imagine like uh you're in the office and you have a urinary tract infection and you say something to someone and they're like well jenny has one too and then all of a sudden you find out other people do too and you're like wait a second what's going on here. First it would come out like it would
0: be scandalous. It'd be like oh what well, did you hear Ricky had one but so did Amanda. I'd be like well you know you can pass a urinary tract infection. <laughs> and then before people would be like yo my wife's accusing me of uh, of stepping out on her and then people were like all right there's too many people with urinary tract
1: infections. Would well, be like, cuz there's something in the water. Uh, but if there wasn't something in the water there was something in the air. Yep, exactly. And it was put there, and they were unknowingly being put in harm's way.
0: Disgusting. Now, in 1951, tests were also carried out at the Norfolk Naval Supply Center in Virginia, a massive base that equips the U.S. Navy. Fungal spores were dispersed to see how they would infect workers unpacking crates there. Most of the workers were African American, and the scientists wanted to test a theory that they were more susceptible to fungal disease than Caucasians. Now in 1997, the National Research Council revealed that the U.S. also used chemicals to test the potential of biological weapons in the 1950s. Zinc cadmium sulfide was dispersed by plane and sprayed over a number of cities, including St. Louis in Missouri and Minneapolis in Minnesota. Now, the reason these cities were chosen was because they were similar to Soviet targets such as Moscow in terms of terrain, weather, and population. The council concluded that no one was hurt and that the level of chemical used was not that harmful. But in 2012, sociology professor Lisa Martino Taylor claimed that there was a spike in cancer rates that could be connected back to the chemicals, which she alleges were radioactive. Nothing has since emerged back back up to back up her claims well that i mean again that goes back to uh you know Agent orange don't worry you got and then gosh how many how many soldiers coming back uh, um, from uh from vietnam Vietnam ended up developing cancer i mean (laughs) staggering amounts and ddt where they used to put it in your hair to prevent lice and you see just like these little kids getting all this ddt blown on them i mean That had to be just wrecking to people's bodies and creating autoimmune diseases, I would think. Now, as well as open-air testing, the U.S. military also has a record of weaponizing infected insects. Yeah, you heard that correctly. (laughs) Oh, man. The U.S. uses insects as a bioweapon. In 1954, scientists carried out Operation Big Itch. The test was designed to find out if fleas could be loaded into bombs. They could. The test happened just a few years after the Soviets accused the U.S. of dropping canisters full of insects infected with Korea and the plague in Korea and China during the Korean War. This is something the U.S. military denies as a disinformation campaign. Well, of course they do. But you know they did
1: it. They definitely did it. I mean, if these countries are saying, yeah... You did, what are they just going to make that up right they're saying you're using insects to transport biological weapons and the sentence before that was that they're loading them into bombs and they know that they could exactly put two and two together there
0: i mean how are you going to say that after after the incident of spraying uh off the coast of san francisco i mean and then i don't recall the exact year but the government testing a. Uh, the, the Tuskegee incident where they, right. where they infected a lot of African-American males with syphilis and then didn't treat them to see how the body would... How do you think a body's going to react? It's gonna, <laughs> especially with a disease
1: like that, I mean, come on. So, Project 112, Steve? Yes. There was a massive increase in testing in 1962 when the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, authorized Project 112. The project expanded bioweapons testing and pumped new funds into research. One of the more controversial tests took place in 1966 on the New York City subway. Scientists filled light bulbs with Bacillus globogea bacteria and then smashed them open on the tracks. The bacteria traveled for miles around the subway system, being breathed in by thousands of civilians and covering their clothes.
0: Well, in 2008, the U.S. Government Accountability Office acknowledged that tens of thousands of civilians might have been exposed to the biological agent thanks to Project 112 and other tests. The same report noted that since 2003, the U.S. Defense Department has been trying to identify which civilians have been exposed during Project 112 to let them know. Now, of course, the military denies exposure involved in any harmful disease, but many of those who have been identified who have uh, been identified allege they now suffer from long-term medical conditions why is it always the same old story with the government well, we 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 didn't do anything or we didn't use anything harmful well the one thing that i've i've grown to learn and to know is that anytime the government claims that they're there to help they're not there to help and if they claim that they didn't do something or they wouldn't carry out something like that on american people Go listen to our episode on nine eleven, because our government, along with other governments around the world, are just corrupt. I mean, the, our country, the United States, has become more of a more of a business than actually um, uh, what it, what it's known for is a you know always fighting for freedom, and uh, Lord knows that tanker ships from the Navy sitting two miles off the coast of San Francisco and blowing anything into our breathable air is just arrogant, corrupt and evil because what gives them the right is just other people. Well, let's see if this does anything. Well, it only affected 11 people. Whoa. Well, what if those 11 people were in your family from your tests and we I mean but here again, you know, those who control information can <laughs> control everything. I mean, the media at the time probably didn't cover it that that extensively and it just gets washed away just like with this whole situation that's going on with ukraine and russia right now what happened to covid i mean it it seemed like one got issued or um you know ushered in and the other got ushered out and uh you know went from every day on mainstream media from hearing from Fauci to uh now we're hearing about uh people fighting for their for their lives over in ukraine regardless of 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 what we can be told i mean because Lord knows. We don't know. But what we do know for sure is that there's bio labs over there and uh, who's protecting them, who wants them, who's hiding something because there's a money trail that would go along with those too. Are those trying to be disposed of? You never know. I mean, especially uh, within the deep state of our government. It's like uh, the old man said in the movie Shooter. The second you think you got it figured out, you're wrong. Because conspiracies go deep, and they're twisted, and they'll, they'll kill to
1: protect whatever evil they're carried out on people. I'll circle this back around for you. Biological warfare has been around uh, through the ages. As the English came to this area uh, and were trading with the Indians, they infested the blankets that they traded with them with smallpox just to... Degrade their society and give them illness. Yeah,
0: so that they—I mean, they would—they would look at it as a saving ammunition. Well, if we if we provide the Native Americans with these blankets that are infested with a uh, with disease, I mean, that's just going to spread rampant throughout the Native American community, and uh, they never had to do a thing, and then just let them suffer and die, and for what? And and to take to take their land, which was originally theirs. I mean. It goes back to the creation of, of our country uh you know once militaries were formed, horrible things were were done to populations without their knowing and Unfortunately, today, the things that are done uh they're not being being taught to to students in school. People aren't being taught the real history. We're told in what history we should know and what history should never be taught again because either it offends or it's racist or it's just uh, they consider it complete ludicrousy. They don't, they, don't, they don't see it as actual history. That's why they want to remove monuments and stuff. Good, bad, or indifferent, monuments are uh, a symbolism of how far we've come in this country. If you see that statue as a symbol of hate, well, then that's what it's going to represent. Or if you see that statue as we overcame corruption hate, then it takes on a whole different meaning. And uh, it just seems like a history isn't something that is craved by many anymore
1: so it seems to me that this has you know started off in a small scale but as humanity has developed i think that it could be now being done on a very large scale and there are some who would believe that if you went back to day one in wuhan china to that wet market that they say covid came from when there was a chinese lab right down the street it could be said that that virus came from that lab
0: i mean i think any child that has ever looked for waldo in a book could figure out that connection i mean right down the street there's a bio lab where there's contagions that shouldn't escape and just happened right down the street i mean
1: so then the the question be begged to ask, did they let that go?
0: I mean, I think all evidence, in my opinion, is is pointing to yes that it was, it was released. Uh, I, I mean, how do you accidentally? I mean, you're wearing biocontainment suits when you're handling this stuff. How does it accidentally leak out? I mean, that I think that that is par with um. Well, there was nothing dangerous. There's no there's no fallout from this stuff. I mean, you think you're gonna get the
1: truth? Yeah. The truth is what they say it is. And it started off with, well, you know, COVID isn't that dangerous. You get a cough for about three days and, you know, it passes on. People, and when I say people, I mean like entire countries didn't even know if they were going to react at all to it. And now here we are two years down the line and we're seeing the horrible effects that people carry on with them. Respiratory disease, so many other diseases and it is terrible that this virus has hit the world the way that it has. The only thing that would make it more terrible is if it was released on purpose,
0: right? Because then, I mean, if that can be proven in uh, in the international courts, I mean, then that would be, I mean, that would be genocide on people on a worldwide level. And you know, it it should be that any ruler of any country. That creates genocide, or even you know, attacks in its innocent civilians in a country. They should be immediately removed from power, and you know,
1: probably put to death for their genocidal ways and their corruption. Well, I can tell you this: these documents are CIA documents that stated that Operation Sea Spray existed, that it happened, and that there were uh, bacteria released on unknowing U.S. citizens by the U.S. government.
0: Oh yeah, it's it's confirmed. I mean, anything can be can be obtained now through, you know, a right to know. These have been declassified and and they're basically saying, "This is what we've done. We're sorry. No harm came from it, and we with crossed fingers promise not to do it again." Well, here we are 2 years into a pandemic. I mean, I don't think it takes a genius to connect the dots, but I digress there.
1: It's been happening
0: for a long time, folks. It certainly has. Well, that's our show on operation sea spray and, and, and the government testing what I consider biological agents on its people just to see how it react. And it should give you a little glimpse of how much they don't care about you. You're, you're just a number. You're just an experiment. You're just data. So we're, we're always going to present you the information here at subtle beast, take it for what it's worth. You can take it as entertainment or you can take it as, um, as knowledge, but, uh, We want to get the information out there. And uh, had a lot of fun today. Good topic. And it's information people definitely need to know. I agree. So, well, until next time, I'm Foltz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.